Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the shadowy figures in the faux glass of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who are quite disturbed at what it would feel like to push a magical eye out of its socket with a rapidly growing real one. My name is Sarah. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? I mean, if you've ever had a contact lens that was just really uncomfortable and popped out of your eye, I mean, it's probably something like that. I I was really uncomfortable with that surprise body horror that happened in the middle of this chapter. It's just... Eyes and limbs are regrowing and pushing out things in their way. Yeah, I don't, there's something about the eye socket, particularly, that <laughs> just grosses me out. Um, so here we are on chapter, what number chapter are we on? 35? Indeed. Uh, yep. Um, of the fourth book of Harry Potter, um, Veritaserum. And uh, it is, we are in the chapters in which we explain things and uh, reveals happen. So we'll do that, I suppose, over the course of... <laughs> However many minutes are required. <laughs> the segments that we do here, including a rapid-fire recap, uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer, uh, we award house points somehow, and then there are questions, which I can't imagine how there would be any of those, given that everything was wrapped up in a ni- nice, neat bow over the course of this chapter. So we can all go home. I, well, I'm going to find a way. <laughs> I, I'm going to find a way. I think I've got some ideas. <laughs> Well, uh, before we get into anything else, Sarah, we have our usual bet that goes on for this segment of yours. Um, This is a dense 21-page chapter. Yeah, three important conversations happen over the course of this chapter, and they are just jammed full of information. So uh, this is... I am not placing a bet on this chapter on my recap. This is... Perfectly fair. It will be by the grace of the phoenix feather if I get this under two minutes in the first place. So we'll see. All right. Well, you've got a very extended villain monologue to summarize here. <laughs> I wish you the best of luck. When your villain monologue is an axe, it's a real problem. <laughs> there was an intermission. They, they, they encouraged people to go to concessions midway through this villain monologue so people would make it through it okay. We all got our glass of cheap white wine of indiscriminate vintage and came back afterwards. The classic Broadway class of wine. <laughs> All right, whenever you're ready. Harry, the Triwizard Cup, and Cedric, Cedric's body are back at Hogwarts. Harry continues to clutch, clutch Cedric as he repeats he's back. Fudge wants Harry to go to the hospital wing, but chaos, chaos is starting to overtake the crowd as they realize something is seriously wrong, and Dumbledore wants him to stay. In the confusion, Moody gets him away from the crowd and helps him to the castle. Harry gasps out explanations as Moody asks a bunch, a bunch of questions about the quote-unquote Dark Lord. Finally, they're in Moody's office, and uh, his questions turn to the Death Eaters who returned and how Voldemort treated them. When Harry says there's a Death Eater at Hogwarts who put his name in the cup, Moody says he knows it was him, and he is now seriously pissed that Voldemort forgave the other Death Eaters who never lifted a finger to bring him back. Harry can't believe that Moody was the one who did all this to deliver him to Voldemort, but he even cleared the way for him on all of the tasks, taking care not to arouse suspicions. As he's talking, images start swimming in the faux glass, and Moody starts on an unhinged rant about becoming closer than a son to the Dark Lord. Dumbledore, McGonagall, and Snape burst in with stupefies, thoroughly knocking Moody unconscious. When McGonagall tries to take Harry out of the room, Dumbledore insists that he stay because he must understand. This is not Alistair Moody. Snape goes to get a truth serum, McGonagall is sent to fetch a dog in Dumbledore's office, and Dumbledore opens the mysterious trunk, which in its depths contains 
contains the real Alistair Moody, who has been imperious and kept to use his hair in a polyjuice potion, which soon wears off the imposter, Barty Crouch Jr. Snape has brought Winky, who goes into fit seeing her former master. They revive him and force down Veritaserum. He tells the story of changing places with his mother while in Azkaban via a polyjuice potion. She died there, and his father kept him under house arrest under an invisibility cloak, although he was seen once by Bertha Jorkins. He's only taking him out, taken him out to the Quidditch World Cup, where he fought the Imperius Curse, stole Harry's wand, escaped, and cast the Dark Mark to scare the Death Eaters, who were just muggle-baiting. Winky kept him under control until they got stunned. Crouch got rid of Winky and tried to keep his son under control, but then Wormtail and Voldemort came to collect him and install him as Moody at Hogwarts. Then Crouch Sr. was imperious, and Jr. abducted Moody to assume his place. Senior eventually started fighting the mind control and escaped Hogwarts briefly in an attempt to confess. Junior used the Marauder's map to discover when his father got to campus and stunned Crumb, killed Crouch, transfigured him into a bone and buried him. Finally, this night, he made the port key and is expecting a reward. Oh, no. I think that was a fair stop right there. So just over. It didn't make it. Didn't make it. Uh, Two two minutes minutes and 66 hundredths of a second. That's what it is. Uh. Well, honestly, better than I would have expected in this moment. You're, you're doing fine on score here. Unless things go disastrous in the last few chapters, you still got this one made. Yeah, well, anyway, that's the uh, the bare bones of what happened in this chapter. Something to chew on. Uh, BJ, what are, you, what are you wheezing about this chapter? So I only have one wheeze. Um, okay. But I will say, I think it's interesting that I finally got an answer to my question that I believe I asked very early on because um, I asked why Moody wasn't saying Voldemort. And he was, he, and mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Dark Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we had the conversation about the difference between you know who and he who must not be named, which I think we came down yeah. to is a sort of class dis- distinction. But it's a very special subset of people who call him the Dark Lord. Right. But I, I, I don't remember what Moody called him previously, but it definitely wasn't Voldemort. And that that was something that I thought was out of character because, I mean, let's face it, like all of the strong wizards that don't seem to care are just like, no, Voldemort, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We're not going to give him power. But I don't, um, he wouldn't have been calling him the Dark Lord because, no, I mean, that, that right. just stands I, out immediately. I think it would have been like, uh, I, but I don't think he called him Voldemort. I seem to remember having this conversation. I'm not mm-hmm. 100% about it. Mm-hmm. But... I think he kind of carefully dodged actually ever referring to him previously. Like he that was always just wor- working around actually naming yeah. him in any capacity. I think because he, oh. if I'm remembering his lessons correctly, he talked a lot about like the dark arts and dark magic. Right. But maybe I think it was more like, yeah, personally, like when Harry was in his office, mm-hmm. not not like a defense against the dark arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my one wheeze is really Barty Jr. and that's what the map didn't pick up. <laughs> Didn't what? didn't what? It, say it, Barty it did. Crouch Jr. <laughs> it it did. It just leaves off little extra signifiers at the end. <laughs> it's it said Bartimus Crouch. This is how you defeat the map. You just go full on George Foreman. Well, maybe it's um it, it's like those uh, fields and online forms where you can only put in so many letters before it just makes you stop putting them in. <laughs> which my like hyphenated last name has foiled me many times in this mm. case. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, so the, the junior still. just wouldn't fit in the... <laughs> um, I, that but, is a, a somewhat somewhat fair wheeze. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I mean, we don't have a lot. I mean, we have tons of, of multi-semicolon sentences, but I feel like we sure. covered that in the last chapter and it's nowhere near as problematic. 
<laughs> in this chapter. Um, and it's a little bit more acceptable in, in its uh, profligate use, but, sure. um, but yeah, basically the entire book hinging on, well, the map didn't say junior, so <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, I don't know. That seems okay. Sure. Um, but with that, um, I will turn it over to Newbie's Notes, which I'm going to participate some... in a little bit because I have some complaints. Uh, we, we, we got it. Both do it when it comes to this chapter. I feel every Harry Potter book has this chapter. This chapter of where there's a giant spreadsheet that J.K. Rowling has that's like, okay, what remains to be resolved? Mm -hmm. All of it right now. Mm -hmm. It is aided in this chapter by the answer to every one of those questions is one guy. One guy did everything. Good lord, I was giving Wormtail, Wormtail way too much credit as being uh, doing the most legwork for the Dark War, uh, Dark Lord a couple chapters ago. Barty Crouch Jr. has been doing everything, this book, the entire damn time. Yep, he is the one who was installed at Hogwarts, who was the true believer that we learned about yeah. last ago, two yeah. chapters ago, I that, guess. That yeah. we, you know, I think it was obviously supposed to finger Snape, but mm -hmm. no. I, I was assigning the blame at Ludo Bagman when it came to a lot of this, and I'm going to eat a certain amount of crow when it comes to that. It doesn't legally meet the standards for slander. He's a public figure, and I didn't know <laughs> what, or have reason to know what I was saying is false, but I'm ready for the lawsuit when it wants to come. Because apparently, I was just assuming that his idiocy was a cover. When in reality, no, he's just that dumb that it looks like misdeeds. Well, to be fair, we do have a lot of Ludo Bagman's just behavior over the course of this book that has yet to be explained. explained. Yeah, I mean, it's um, just weird. But yeah, we, which it will get explained in coming chapters, I can guarantee you that. But I think it might be a, a different um, different type yeah. of criminality than you were expecting, Spencer. Well, there's an old maxim of never assume malice when incompetence will do. And I should have oh, understood boy. that when staring at Ludo Bagman at every turn. <laughs> yeah, that is... Uh, that it, Ludo Bagman is that maxim <laughs> just personified in the world. Oh, yeah. Well, going through some of my notes, uh, BJ, throwing it to you for a little bit, you mentioned the idea that the burning scar didn't show up uh, last chapter when Voldemort was actually in, the, was actually in Harry's presence. Mm -hmm. The moment Harry leaves Voldemort's presence, we get the burning scar reappearing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, which, you know, I did note, and it, it was sort of interesting, but it's kind of like a... It seems like she remembered that that was a thing at this point, but what? unclear. Well, yeah. I but mean, it's also supposed to be like when he's casting magic and he stopped, like, I, and is his scar just going to hurt for the rest of, you know, until we get to book seven, when presumably things are resolved mostly in Harry Potter's favor? Um, I don't know. So, go, oh, go ahead, Spencer. Sorry to interrupt, Sarah. But the way I understood it from the initial part, though, was actually I thought it provided some measure of justification of where it seemed like this was that classic moment in movies where somebody's shot, but they got too much going on until they realize it later. It's like the hurting scar is the least of his concerns when he's been stabbed, shot, actively tortured, and the embodiment of evil is here in front of him. It's only when he's now in transit leaving that he suddenly remembers, oh, shit, this also hurts. I mean, but, to, but on the other side, he was tied up and doing nothing. For still stabbed. Well, I mean, I think that I, I think that there's a little bit of what you're saying, Spencer, going on. But I also think that just like, it, does it fall by the wayside a little bit to your point, BJ? Yeah. But I also think that like, that would be an incredibly 
difficult and boring chapter to read if J.K. Rowling actually explained how much his scar was hurting the entire time that he was fighting with Voldemort. Like, that's just not interesting. Um, I mean, but I'll, I think it was overblown, I guess, is, is my problem. I think that, that she has relied on this as a measure of what Voldemort is doing too much up until this point, because the last time Voldemort did, like, basically anything, Harry passed out. So... Or woke up in agony, in reverse, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I but I also think that, you know, it, it can be, it could be explained a little bit by just the sheer amount of adrenaline that would be coursing through Harry at this point. Um, sure, I, I, I think that there are explanations. I just think that the heavy reliance on on the pain in his scar as a measure of Voldemort activity, I you know, you know, kind of like a, Geiger counter or seismometer or something like it, it, it just it's it's gonna fall apart it has to fall apart like here and now yeah I mean at, at some points it certainly does and I do you know to your point I do think that it it kind of um got forgotten in the last chapter like I'm, I'm not gonna argue that that was like entirely on purpose but the the fact that Harry's scar hurts and it and is in some ways a barometer for Voldemort's actions and mood is something that is actually incredibly important to the plot um and we learn more about later so yeah you know the the choice not to describe it or not to focus on it on any given moment I mean I think we talked about this last chapter when we when we were talking about this before um but it becomes clear in these later books now that Voldemort is back that Harry that Harry's scar is always prickling, um, even right. if it's not like active pain. It's something that he now notices right. um, in yeah. a way that he didn't before. And I, I think it could have been resolved in a like a band snapping kind of way, like you know the the pressure of Voldemort being basically in another realm, mm-hmm. and then coming to this one, then like brings it down but anyway yeah, like, that makes it's sense. just uh you know yeah but you know it's also a sort of like to my kind of original defense of this is effective or not effective as as that is like we get obviously at very various points in the over the course of the rest of the books in the series we get moments of of harry and voldemort confronting each other and yeah. if she had to only focus on how much his scar hurt or if he passed out in that moment because of that like that's not, that's just not a good read. For right. the sake of narrative. Yeah. Yes. Uh, one thing I hadn't really considered, I guess I didn't have much time given that the last chapter just ended with teleportation, but unless they get a front in, ahead of this story real quick, a lot of people, it seems like, are going to assume that Harry murdered Cedric. Because the guy yeah. just shows up with a dead body. It's not a good look into just a crowd of people who are celebrating and... <laughs> The diggeries who are already pissed off at Harry. Oh my god. This scene in the movie wrecks me every time. Does it play out differently or is it very much like this? No, it's it's very it's very similar. Um, but it comes back and you know, I know we're gonna watch the movies at some point, but the the thing Mm -hmm. that really gets me is that, you know, they come back, Dumbledore and a couple of other wizards kind of figure out like something is really wrong here immediately. But there's fanfare, the crowd is cheering, like everybody thinks that Harry's just back and has won at at first because he's appeared with the Triwizard Cup Mm -hmm. Um, and you like slowly hear the fanfare die out and the wizards start murmuring and like Cedric Diggory's dad Amos 
comes down from the stands and is like sprinting towards him. And there's this moment at the end of that scene where he is just like um, rent with grief, just screaming, my boy, my boy. And it's I mean, it's it's just tough. It's a real tough scene. It's a well-framed and well-written scene here, too, in terms of building up the tension and built and just the little bits that filter in through what Harry's going through right here. Yeah. Um, but I'll be real yeah. curious to see what legs this does, because Rita Skeeter hasn't needed anything this big before to write a whole teardown piece. Now, with this kind of evidence appearing in front of her and the community, unless the ministry comes forward real quick and acknowledges the existence of Voldemort, which they seem really disinclined to do, Harry's going to take a lot of this, which seems in popular press. Yeah, it is interesting in this scene to kind of really go through and parse like what Dumbledore is saying and what Fudge is saying um, in the moment and where their focuses are. Focus yeah, so. focuses, whatever. It works. Foci. Yes. Um, so it it's also kind of fascinating that Dumbledore clearly doesn't have a grip on this situation. Like this is probably the first time where Dumbledore has no grip on the on the situation and. I'm curious now how much he knows because it's weird that he didn't know more given Mm -hmm. like his character up until now and how he can casually see through a cloak of invisibility and a lot of other things that seem like a, all right, what's going on here? Um, And just a... My understanding was he knew uh, Moody fairly well, and mm-hmm. so to not recognize that he's not Moody, or that he recognized it and is insane Dumbledore, and this is all part of his like weird ass plan, but it doesn't seem that way. Like he no. doesn't. Like every other time, it was a, oh yes, I was trying to teach you a lesson, and this doesn't seem like. I was trying to teach you a lesson. This seems like, oh God, like what is going on here? We have to figure this out and sort of keep it. It's a a serious enough moment and a serious enough surprise that this is probably the most, well, serious we ever see Dumbledore in these stories, at least that Mm -hmm. I've seen so far, of when he's charging in and blowing the door off the hinges later in this chapter and issuing orders to his other professors. No one's questioning him anymore because this is a form of this is a version of Dumbledore that we have they haven't probably seen in years. All of the you know just politely doddering facade is gone. This man has been caught off guard and he does not enjoy it. Yeah, and it's also interesting because the sense that we get is Voldemort was never really a serious challenge to Dumbledore. Mm. I I guess it's Dumbledore has at least given that off as a. It was a huge problem, but like on a one-on-one match, Dumbledore is just like, meh, like whatever. And it seems people are reassured by that idea that, well, there's always Dumbledore. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that Dumbledore himself thinks that. Um, but I would also he at least say, sort of gives off that air. Yeah, I don't. Sorry, I don't well, I was just going to say, well, first I was going to say, I don't know that we've ever gotten that from him in talking about Tom Riddle or Voldemort himself yeah um but what i was what i was actually going to say is you know i've talked a lot about um this book as a turn and other people have as well i've cribbed off of that this book is a turning point in the series um Mm -hmm. and i think the easy answer there are there are many ways that that's true a couple of the easy ones are the books get much darker from here and also the idea that voldemort is back in bodily form but Mm -hmm. another turning point that we really see starting here is in Dumbledore's character arc and 
what he knows and doesn't know and what he's prepared to do to figure out the truth. Um, And we see the beginning of that here in the fact that he really didn't know that any of this was happening. Um, And the strength of his response to it as well. Um, So, you know, those kinds of moments are are a shift in the Dumbledore that we saw in the first three books and even in the the beginning of this book. Um, Yeah. It becomes very different. And his... The understanding of of how much of what is going on he knows continues to shift going forward. On that point you just said, the mere fact that he's willing to use Veritaserum there at the end seems in compromise to some of the ethics he's previously represented about the Ministry's hard tactics to confront Death Eaters. It's really, that's a really serious thing um, that he has chosen to do in this moment. It it is almost like he he has shifted immediately into like wartime powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, th- this like is it. this is sort of one of those things where it's just like, if that wasn't a thing, how close was he to using the Imperio, Imperio yeah. curse? Yeah. Like, that that would be like a, I mean, that's basically what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's just they're, they're doing it with more steps and maybe a little less recrimination from the Ministry of Magic, though. Yeah, it's a little I, more legitimate than. <laughs> yeah, I also don't imagine Dumbledore giving any mind to what the Ministry of Magic has to say about anything. And so no, I think it's maybe his own moral compass that's per- preventing him from using an unforgivable curse rather than anything else. But we're in hazy territory here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, BJ, like you noted, the moment Moody not only just used the word, the phrase Dark Lord, but then said it like eight times in two paragraphs... Giant klaxons were going off saying, well, only certain people have used that particular <laughs> turn of phrase before, and Moody is not one of them. What the hell is happening here? Yeah, I had that highlighted for that, and then I was just like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, we'll no, we, we find it out here. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're finding out now mm-hmm. that Barty Crouch is secretly the god of Byzantine plotting and nudging of events. It would be easier to say what things he wasn't actively involved in in the story than what things he was. Mm-hmm. It, he, every single step of Harry's journey has been influenced, if not outright controlled, by Barty Crouch Jr.'s efforts to wield this plot to his master's purposes. The only thing yeah. that seemed to stymie him is the <laughs> lack of curiosity and <laughs> that I... Harry displays. Regarding absolutely. his regarding Neville Longbottom and his interests, <laughs> I absolutely loved that. My most oft-repeated criticism of Harry is put in his words: "You have a streak of pride and independence that might have ruined all." <laughs> He's even pissing off the villains with this. It's just like I did everything but grab you by the nose and lead you where you needed to go. I had to have fallback plans to make sure you survived this. Uh huh. It, 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 I found that line just utterly hilarious. Just his <laughs> abject frustration that Harry just is incapable of seeing the plot. Yeah, and it's amusingly convoluted too. Like I, I still, I'm still a little like this is really Bond villain esque, where oh, you gather up all the scientists, make a giant laser to, you know, shoot like a, a, a satellite out of orbit or something like that. Where it's just like there are lots of ways to do that. And you chose the hardest way to do that. <laughs> One thing I love about how Bond villain this is, is that we get a proper Bond villain confession, just revealing the whole plot. And I always liked that because 
it is such a human thing that's actually played out. People always say the Bond villain confession is unrealistic, but you're dealing with a category of people that inherently have to operate outside the public view of society and never get to have any, like, you know, kudos or props thrown their way when something goes according to plan. This guy has pulled off the impossible in terms of the complexity of this, the inner workings, the constant wheels within wheels. He merits bragging to all shit about this right now. Well, this goes back to our, our sister podcast, um, and then there were... No, it, it, Mangum reads um, when we discussed, and then there were none. Our our yeah, villain killed himself, but couldn't get away from leaving a note explaining everything because he needed people to know. I, I, I love that little that little code on the story as a means of doing that because it, op- it opens with "This is dumb. I originally intended not to do this, but I gotta have people understand how brilliant this was." It I can't out. help myself. <laughs> also, really interesting that he has no oh shit moment. Where Harry should be dead, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and Harry appears and Crouch isn't immediately like, "Oh God, what happened? I need to check on things." Yeah. It's I it's I don't know. It's, it's just sort of a wonky. In, in some ways, I actually felt it was in character, just because for this plan to have worked out, this is a guy that's very capable of rolling with the punches, and so he immediately spins this of, "Oh God, the plan failed." To Oh God! Now I can succeed in a way that no one ever could. That I mean, he does. Yeah. yeah, he does move very quickly to like this can be a real win for me. This was already a win, but this can be a real win. Wait, right. I, I will actually fundamentally disagree with him in that regard, though. That if this man thinks that killing Harry Potter right now is a bad idea, a corpse to Voldemort is going to get you in his good graces. This is a man heading toward his own execution and doesn't even know it. Yeah, terrible idea. Terrible. Now, if he wants to just truss Harry up in a bag and deliver him to the Dark Lord's doorstep, that man becomes the Overlord of Asia. But killing him and denying Voldemort the opportunity to get that degree of public event that he's desperately craving and now lost in the last chapter, you're killed off camera and never discussed again. But also Uh, an interesting, like, he's not worried about Voldemort, which... I presume that there's some sort of connection between the Death Eaters and Voldemort, but like, yeah, not worried that like Harry has killed Voldemort or right. It, it's just like really how else has Harry Potter? Appeared? Yeah, there seems to be an honest belief among the diehards among them, which he I love that he draws such a distinction and crafted so much of this around the real Death Eaters versus those charlatans that wear masks and go do things at go do things at sporting events that. In, for the real diehards, for those who would never give up the cause, they don't seem to be capable of believing that Voldemort can die or be defeated. In their mind, the maximum of their lord is always death is just a... Death is something that is constantly just an obstacle and easily be avoided. And so I, I don't know if he has the capacity to even believe that Voldemort was in any way under threat by what played out. Yeah. I would also... I mean, he was also, you know, there and around when Harry first came back saying he's back, he's back. Not he's back yeah, and he's right. dead. He's back and he's dead. Right. Which that's like, true. Very you fair. know, I realize that point. it's not any number of things yeah. could have happened in that situation. Right. But you would think that Harry would have been right. Um, have said something about right. Well, who knows with Harry? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the other thing to note here is that the real villain of this entire story is Mrs. Crouch, right? Ah, uh, the things you do for love. Yeah, it's a tough. Well, and even Barty Crouch Sr. was in on this whole thing. Senior 
Senior gets a lot thrown at his I mean, if also... If he survived this chapter, there'd be questions. Mm-hmm. The, the insane things that he's done to his child to allow his child to be alive, and also... Um, For like 10 I, I years, I think we're going right? to... Hmm? For like 10 years, right? It's been years now that he's been in the state, hasn't it? Well, it's unclear how long yeah. that he's been out of... Azkaban, but that that also seems like an insane thing in the world that you can just sort of sneak into uh, high security prison and be like, oh, I don't know, I was visiting with my wife and now she seems completely different and we're just going to go away and never one, no one hears from her again because she quietly dies and it's fine. Um, but well, yeah, and the, yeah, I mean, this is the sort of like everyone always talks about like how good the Dementors are as guards for Azkaban, but actually they seem like really flummoxed by humans. I mean, we saw Sirius Black sneak out as a dog and they didn't really seem to notice. And then we have this situation where it's essentially one sick person came in, one sick person left. That's all we could tell. I mean, this is very much, uh, you know, swapping the uh, golden statue for a bag of sand kind of thing. And she's like, we'll see if it works. What? In defense of the Dementors, never thought I'd be uttering those words. Hmm. Um, but it does seem like, we, we, BJ, as you noted, the fact that Dumbledore didn't see through this should tell us something, A, about that Bar- Bar- Barty Crouch is the best charlatan ever to exist in mankind, but also B, Polyjuice is a lot more overpowered than we thought. Is that this makes, sorry, go ahead, sir. No, it's fine. I was I was just going to agree with agree with your point. I will say, though, um, just the sort of idea of impersonating Moody as opposed to somebody else in the world, it actually seems like it would be easier to do him because he's just, like, actually nuts. And I think it's easier to be a nuts person than a sane person if you're trying to impersonate them. If you're so off the wall, I think that's a little easier to do because yeah. nobody really knows what to expect from Moody in the first that, place. I mean, they're, a great call. It's also super interesting because Barty Crouch then basically just is like, I'm going to teach a bunch of Hogwarts students the unforgivable curses. And mm-hmm. they cast them at me and like, it's fine. And it's just like, what? Yep. That's. Hey, defense of Barty Crouch uh, Jr. We've said this, seen this with a few professors that didn't actually prove to be real professors. He actually seems pretty good at his job. He taught a pretty effective course. Yeah, I mean, it has certainly come in real handy for Harry in the latter chapters of this book. And also really interesting, Sarah, that that you commented on how empathetic he is um, to... To Neville. Neville. Mm-hmm. And oh, shit, I just realized that. Mm-hmm. I, I want to there. return to... That, that's my presumption, that mm-hmm. he was there and he... Ca- mm-hmm. So he cast the spell... He tortured, uh, he tortured Neville's parents. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was being nice to him and that's sort of like a really weird thing in the world. I don't think that's why he was... Well, I don't know. I think that that might have been playing he, the part of Moody. But, I mean, this is real fucked up, guys. I, I had not pondered that. That's yeah. colossally fucked up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that man was just talking... That man wasn't being nice to him. He was manipulating him to get a book so that Harry would find out about Gillyweed, which didn't work anyway. And oh, also, God like, but, but also, it's just crazy. like, hey, like, hey, like, you guys need to chill out about Neville being freaked out about this curse because, and, and telling Harry to be, like, chill about it. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like, there is a read whereby, which I don't think is correct, where he was actually showing some, like, empathy and human emotion as, like, Barty Crouch Jr., not just playing the part of Moody. But I think that yeah. the read that is probably more correct is that, he enjoyed every minute of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
that's some sick, twisted amusement that he's getting to, you know, nurse and have this guy talk about his pain with respect to the murder, or the not murder, but almost worse, that he inflicted upon his parents. Yep. Uh, because he probably, he probably never found out about it because he was in Azkaban. Oh, what? that they... Crouch never, probably never found out about, like, the ramifications of the terrible things that he's done oh, because fair. he was in uh, Azkaban. And like so now is the time yeah. mm-hmm. that he he's getting can... to savor it now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, Oh, that, that is lovely right there. I had not, that, that, is, that is a connection between past events that is done beautifully to bring those together and not clearly uh, uh, set out. Though I imagine it will the next chapter. We'll find out. But right now, I'm really in it. Is uh, Voldemort more evil than Barty Crouch? <laughs> I, there, we get a couple of characters who it is, it is legitimate to ask that question. Um, Barty Crouch is a nightmare, really. He also deprived us of what was the main act of characterization we previously had for Moody, the whole thing with the dustbins. That's out yep. the window now. Mm-hmm. He didn't yep. attack dustbins in the middle of night with spells in a way I love just to continue repeating about his character. He actually was attacked and was fighting back. I'm disappointed. <laughs> well, and also, does does Moody actually say constant vigilance? Or is that just like something that Barty Crouch made up? We've never met him! We have no right. clue. Exactly. We've we don't know. In a flashback. We don't know anything about But him. other people should have met him. Yes. Um, but Party I do Crouch think... Is just that good. Well, yeah, and I do think that, like, Moody was a very high-profile auror. Yeah. Um, partially because he's a really good or whatever that ends up meaning. Um, nah. But also because, like, he is this personality, right? And so right. both in terms of like the substance of the personality is a little bit easier to um, inhabit, like I was talking about before. Yeah. But it's also, he was pretty high profile. So people knew stuff um, sure, sure. about him too. Yeah. You, you, you read TMZ and you can find out all you need to know in terms of faking this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> which weekly has some weird profiles of him. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I wonder what his, his card is like from Chocolate Frogs. Oh, jeez. There's a. I'm going to do a brief quote here, just because I think it's one of the most perfect embodiments of Dumbledore's teaching philosophy. Of sorry, you referenced it already, but uh, he will stay Minerva because he needs to understand. Understanding is the first step to acceptance, and only with acceptance can there be the recovery. He needs to know who put him through this ordeal he has suffered tonight and why. That is what Dumbledore runs on when it comes to someone actually gaining life experience and growing. And seeing that just so straight up set out without any degree of hiding it or any or anything else, it just builds on the prior seriousness of the past few pages. That this is a guy who doesn't have any time for pretense right, pretense right now. He's in a hurry. Things are going off script. He needs to get back into control and he's re-exerting it now. Uh, it was honestly amusing for me to see the return of all of the epic potions that have been described in prior chapters prior book <laughs> yeah. saving. it's like polyjuice is back and why why stop there veritaserum also returning <laughs> if it is epic if it's overpowerful we've mentioned it previously it is back in this chapter mm-hmm. uh winky suddenly having a real role in this text other than his casual victim was fascinating to see that unpacked and laid out that she's been integrally involved in every step of this operation or at least quite a few of them in the, of the background. And the actions other characters took with respect to her make sense other than just casual cruelty, though there's a certain element of that too. Mm-hmm. So I liked in retrospect that we now understand much more of her importance to the story. Also interesting that she's kind of not a good character, like doesn't have well, a lot of people's best in 
like she has a focus and it focuses yeah. to her family and yeah else. but like with weird exclusions i don't know it, it it sort of goes to show a little bit more how house elves are sort of an embodiment of the house that they serve mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so it'd be interesting to see the malfoys uh house elves and how delightfully evil they're gonna be well we have one of them <laughs> I mean, Dobby was that Malfoy's house elf. True. Yeah. And he has nothing to do with their house. More right. Or less. Although he still even, you know, I, and I think we saw it at a couple of points in this book, he still has trouble talking right. badly about them because it's so ingrained. Yeah. Um, but we do see, so essentially over the course of these books, we get three, three house elves that we really get to interact with. So we've had yeah. Dobby and Winky and we have one other one, which I think will be really interesting Uh an, an interesting addition to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, among Does the most... Voldemort have an house elf? <laughs> Voldemort has Nagini, who I think would eat any house elf that was involved <laughs> in his situation. Voldemort lacks a house, so at this point, <laughs> doesn't meet the minimum criteria necessary to justify their continued employment. Um, in terms of the most fucked up things in the story so far, all of the revel- revelations of the inner workings of the Crouch family left me floored about seeing the schemes and torture and manipulation and crimes they've inflicted on others to make their just public facade still exist was horrifying and fascinating to see watch played out we're what we're we're seeing a man who has built up this edifice of himself even though no one in the world particularly likes it and we're watching it crumble in the description of his sons saying what happened off camera and it's so interesting too because like obviously barty crouch jr is a terrible person and has done really awful things um, in the, like reprehensible things in the world. But there is an element of this story that you get about his parents and particularly Barty Crouch Sr. that's like that that does, at least for me, provoke some sympathy for just how he feels about the world. Oh yeah. I mean people people are already expressing sympathy for him that if he went if if he became a Death Eater from that family, what does that tell us about that family and what mm-hmm. his upbringing was from the first place? But then just to see what his parents are willing to inflict on those around them or on him for the sake of... <laughs> they literally were describing what Barty Crouch was doing was as an act of love as you proceed to lock his child in a room for five or six years and torture him nonstop. And this reveal about what actually happened to Bertha Jorkins is so oh, interesting. Yeah. And I was so... I had asked the question um, last chapter or the chapter before, I can't remember, when Voldemort was doing his Bond villain speech and talking about Bertha Jorkins, I couldn't remember why she had a memory charm on her in the first place. And here we get that explanation. It was fucking yeah. Barty Crouch Sr. And did it too hard, too, which permanently affected her as well. Yeah. All around bad. It, 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 yeah, Stop flashy thinking her. You're going to erase her med school classes. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's also fascinating how, like, it's really unclear how powerful wizards are. And... Like, how how that balance, like, means anything in the mm-hmm. wizarding world. And I feel like this chapter, and this is going to enter in some of my questions, like, really highlights that they're kind of a wild card. Like, you just don't know mm-hmm. what's going to end up happening mm-hmm. with, like, volatile power being thrown around casually or in anger or whatever. And I think we get a little bit more peek into there's a large emotional component to wizardry that isn't addressed in 
Hogwarts schooling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm guessing that, you know, things that Dumbledore does when he's angry are slightly different than when he does them otherwise. But it, and, you know, some of it's probably intent, but some of it seems obviously not to be. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting, that's such a good point, BJ. And it's interesting that you bring that up because my husband and I have been um, doing a rewatch of the movies over the past um, week or so, which has been really, really fun. But we've had these conversations because he keeps asking these questions about like, well, could if one-on-one, could Hermione beat Sirius in a fight or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's not... That's not really how it works. And so he's figured out that, like, he approaches everything from a sort of Star Wars perspective where you get the one-on-one fights and you can see who is actually, like, stronger than the other one. But the way the magic really works in the Harry Potter universe is, like, yes, there are more powerful wizards and witches and less powerful wizards and witches, but it is so situational Mm -hmm. um, based on where people's attention is, what is going on around them, what emotion is happening um, what the intent is like it's 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 incredibly difficult to do the like in a one-on-one fight in a vacuum who would win that's hard it doesn't really work yeah. that way it, it's a fascinating question to see authors struggle with for anyone that's introduced magic to their world because magic inherently breaks any rules it exists to break rules it exists to completely alter the equation for anything else that would otherwise function in the world and how much you let that go or don't is something that every author has found a way to either solve or otherwise watch their text crumble. Yeah. Of where, I mean, Tolkien was famous for it, of where he has wizards, and was like the famous archetypical wizards, but they very rarely use magic because he quickly realized this is a human nuke. This is a person that has the ability to unmake the world on their command. If I show that, any sense of drama in the story just evaporates. So mostly it's got to be, you know, rules and restrictions and a certain degree of power of presence rather than actually casting spells. Otherwise, as George R. R. Martin famously put it, if a person could unmake an army by, by waving their hand, why would you ever form an army? Mm-hmm. And this is, as you guys know, it's an interesting thing to watch it play out for this story about just how powerful some of these people can be. Because from some of these descriptions, these are guys that can unmake and resort a reality to their whims. And if that can happen, and if that exists, whew, what does the, how does the world respond to it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of like the role of the Ministry of Magic in some ways, is to keep everybody in check. Um, and it makes more sense that everybody's employed at the Ministry of Magic, if that's the case. <laughs> you know, just sort of like, if a chunk of their role is just like a blanket, no, no crazy magic, Mm-hmm. That you need almost every wizard to be in that no crazy magic business. Yeah, um, you've got to have like buy-in for that because otherwise people will really go off the rails, right? And so being, yeah. to your point, being employed in the ministry or having a family member who's employed in the ministry or something like that does do a little bit of that work. Yeah. Um, also, I'm getting more and more frustrated by the fact that they can somehow figure out when People that shouldn't be casting magic are casting magic unless it's plot relevant. So mm. that's that's my newbies wheeze. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, well, well, one thing I'll newbies wheeze about is just from a, a, a mild bit of disappointment. But the fact that Barty Crouch died off camera and we don't get to talk with him again after what we've learned about him and seen that he's done and seen what he in private was inflicting on others and enduring and keeping on himself 
is a disappointment. Mm -hmm. That would be such an impressive unpacking. He was always a very interesting character, so much he stood out and was separate from everybody else and what you know, existing channels we've seen wizards in. So having him quietly snuffed out um, without his giving an opportunity to have a further debrief, I gotta say it's a little bit disappointing. Though, admittedly, it's this world, and it seems that Dumbledore was sent Minerva off to go get the dog and the bone for the purpose of something, so... <laughs> Maybe we'll get a last conversation involving <laughs> some means of channeling or conjuring from that bone. Um, we have previously had a spell done by means of father's bones uh, just a chapter or so ago. So that's, who knows? that's true. And here we have another one. I mean, have you looked at the picture of the next chapter? Uh, pointedly, no. Okay. Well, we'll do that a little bit later and you might see something. Um, but the other thing that I think is somewhat important to recognize that, you know, we... we wander in and out of is this is still YA. And I think a an in-depth conversation with Crouch Sr. either is going to be really weird skirting a lot of issues or needs to not happen. Because mm. like a why did you torture your son and things like that, I, I think is a lot harder to deal with in, in this sort of YA setting. Um, it's a, but... It's a it's a testament in my mind to the breadth of this work that in many other YA novels, Barty Crouch could be the ultimate villain without too much effort, based on what we've learned about him and what we've seen what, what we've seen and heard him do. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he is in some ways still going to be framed as in many ways a hero, or at least a, tr- a fallen hero, is an interesting statement about just, there's a lot of moving wheels in this work that need, should be appreciated. <laughs> that, that's it for me. Uh, Sarah, you got characters in this one. Uh, who wins, who loses when it comes to this? I got a nominee for winner, even if he doesn't ultimately work out as well as he hoped. Uh, okay, what's your what's your nominee for winner? Uh, Barty Crouch gets get, gets captured at the end of this chapter, but still, what he pulled off to even get to this point is worthy of some praise. That's true. He also does seem sort of delighted. There's, there's not really a point in this chapter where he, even though he is sort of like under the influence of the Veritas Serum at the end of it, He's never in a real bad mood during this chapter, except for the one moment yeah. when he was concerned about um, the fact that Voldemort kind of pardoned the other Death Eaters, which I'm not sure yeah. if that's really an accurate characterization of what happened in that scene in the first place. Um, um, so that's well, actually, so he sort of started the chapter in Azkaban. So that at, at a point in this chapter, he was described as in Azkaban, yes. Okay. <laughs> No, 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 but not just at a point in the, the chapter, but, like, for for what we know of him, he started in Azkaban. Like, this chapter revealed that he's been yes. doing other things. Yeah, his that's art, true. Yes. That's true. Um, yeah, and actually, like, if we take his entire arc that we get in this chapter, he has been remarkably successful, as we started out this podcast talking about. Um yeah. Okay, well, we'll take that into consideration because quite honestly, we don't have a lot of good options for winners in this chapter. We do have a lot of options for losers. And I think I that you could Barty Crouch. put Barty Crouch senior. senior and junior in that category, but certainly senior because I think mm-hmm. that we held off awarding him loser in the chapter where we saw him come out of the woods because we Mm. didn't know what was going on with him. I think we talked about him and then we said, you know what? We don't have enough information about like what is actually happening here um, to award him loser of the chapter. Very fair point um, for this chapter, I think. I mean, not only do we know that he's dead, so he ended that chapter poorly, but he has had a fall from grace. Yeah, tarnished, tarnished reputation. Yeah, his legacy is done. Yeah. 
And he died in the ditch alone. A minister of the ministry, one of the most powerful individuals of the realm, mm -hmm. died by his own son Han, was buried in a ditch until he was transformed into a bone. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's a, the, the two, the two Bardies are a good and apt answer to this question. I would just throw out as a couple of more options for losers. Um, I mean, we do get the nonsense that is Mrs. Crouch in this chapter. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that it rises to like the, um, just the page space in this chapter that it would need to, to be ultimate loser of the chapter. But she's also not really a ch a character in the Fair. chapter. Like Fair. she's, she's a like historical a thing stone. that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that I mean that is fair. I Winky does not have a great chapter. Mm. Yeah, but whatever. It's Winky. I, I I have I I don't have sympathy for her anymore. <laughs> what well, I, I mean, I, it might may even be worthwhile just assigning all of the characters you just said under the label of the Crouch family has a real shit chapter. Yeah, that's yeah. that is absolutely true. And so the only non-Crouch person that I would throw out. Um, here, although I don't, I don't actually think that he is the real loser of the chapter, but I do want to just highlight his presence in this chapter um, and suggest that we don't see a lot of him and his response, but that whatever he chooses his response to be, he's going to have a real bad day, is Cornelius Fudge. Yeah. So yeah. I, have, I have two other losers of the chapter. Please. Um, that I, like aren't ultimately the loser. I think very clearly Barty Crouch Sr. is, is the yeah. loser yeah. Um, the obvious one is, uh, or the two of them are the Diggories. Yes. Um, and then the less obvious one is Dumbledore. I'm, yeah. I, I, I don't think he wins, yeah. but that one really needs to be talked about. Yeah. We, we gained an understanding of his fallibility and the limits of his knowledge that we did not have before. Mm -hmm. We previously just kind of assumed that he was just the amused spider in the middle of the web and was just pulling strings when he wanted things to happen. This one was completely off his radar, and even he seemed shocked and concussed by that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I will, you know, I think that we had a, a little bit of a discussion earlier about, like, is it possible that Dumbledore knew what was going on? And I, This is a, legitimately like a black box in his experience. He had no idea that any of this was happening. Yeah, um, and I wonder if this speaks to him as to, like, his age. Because my my guess is that when a lot of these things happened the first time around, he knew and was doing things to prevent them. And mm -hmm. like he had some inkling, but is has been blindsided. And I think, you know, in parallel to that, because I think that's a really good point. Um, I think that we might be seeing that Dumbledore has at least up to this point, even though he has been giving Harry sort of information and, and and sending him out to do things and all of that, that he has a little bit of a blind spot when it comes to Voldemort um, and what he could possibly be doing. Um, because I don't think that it had really hit Dumbledore's radar at this point that Voldemort could come back now. Hmm. Yeah. It, it also may be possible that he has a bit of a blind spot when it comes to his friends. Yeah. See, it seems that him and Alistair Moody are very close, and it mm -hmm. seems like he's willing to overlook a lot of quirks or oddities when it comes to people that he otherwise has a foundation of trust with. And so I think he's also taken on the chin that it was one of his friends that was used against him here, and that is a blind spot for him. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And it also could very well be that he had, because he hadn't kept up that friendship. Yeah. Like, he, he doesn't know Fair, Rudy maybe. anymore. And so doesn't have a basis by which to say, like, this is really off for him. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So winners and losers are the Crouch clan writ large. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Questions? <laughs> um, I mean, can you tell me? Do we ever find any further inkling that Ludo Bagman was actually involved with Death Eaters other than other than by his sheer stupidity? Or is he No. Okay. Um I mean I don't think like we like I alluded to earlier, we learn more about what is going on with Ludo Bagman over the course of this book in the next chapter or two. I don't remember which one it's in. Um, but I you know, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler that like the Ludo Bagman Death Eater thing is essentially dropped at this point. Like he really was just hanging out with the wrong crowd. It seems like it's a very intentional red herring on the author's part in terms of the evidence we've got for it. Because one thing that's still completely unexplained, and maybe we'll get, 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 get learn a bit better, is Ludo Bagman roaming through the forest looking confused, finds out about the Death Eater mark and then runs off in a particular direction. Yes, that will get explained. Um, He's probably hitting on a Vila or something. She's <laughs> sure, maybe. I don't know at this point. Um, so, is resisting the unforgivable curses really a thing or kind of a thing? Because it's kind of surprising that the real Moody has been knocked out for this long and Jun- Crouch Jr. could resist the Imperial curse. So. It, it's just like a, are we finagling with things here, or is Moody really on the decline? Like, what's? So I think that um, it is possible to kind of fight. The Imperius Curse is really the only one that you can actually fight. Like, we never get any indication that you can fight the Cruci- the Cruciatus Curse, the the Torture Curse, um, yeah. and Avada Kedavra is really well death. death. Except. Um, Except in very, in very, last chapter. in very special circumstances. Um, but the Im- Imperious Curse is a little more squidgy. My impression about what's going on with with Moody, though, is that, you know, we get a couple of explanations for, like, what is going on with him at the bottom of this trunk that's actually, like, a pit into the floor. Um, mm-hmm. Is that, A, he's locked in there, but, B, he's stunned as well as Imperious. So my impression is that every time that um, Barty Crouch needed to go in and get more hair or or whatever he needed to stay under a polyjuice potion for constantly for almost a year, which Every hour, right? we have not talked about, um, is that he, you know, from this great height, and it's described as like many feet, and mm-hmm. Alistair doesn't have his wand at this point, that he re-stuns him. Um, yeah, and keeps him under the Imperial curse. So, like, I think that Moody circumstances we see Mo- we see the real Moody again in later books, um, and he does not he does not seem to be in decline in those moments. I can tell you, tell you. Yeah, that. I guess that was my impression mm-hmm. of what was going to happen. So yeah. it just seems weird. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I it's it's unclear like what happens when you're stunned in this way too, because it doesn't seem like Barty Crouch has been like feeding him or anything so what has happened to him i i the logistics of him in that case are difficult i grant you spencer i'm looking back through my questions and they're all plot related (laughs) uh yeah i'm i I honestly think i'm gonna save a few of these until after what is inevitably going to be a dumbledore debrief chapter next chapter and we'll see which ones in them remain at that point (laughs) 
Um, BJ, what do you have... What determines the strength? I do. Yes. What determines the strength of potions? Um... Like- what, just, just clarification within a within a particular potion or between potions i mean yes but but more in the particular because uh dumbledore told snape to get the strongest veritaserum gotcha. mm-hmm. that that you have mm-hmm. which means that there are gradations of veritaserum and that's sort of an interesting thing in the world because we seem to have mostly gotten it works or it doesn't and if mm-hmm. it doesn't there are problems um which also might answer some of the polyjuice potion mm-hmm. questions because if there's a much stronger polyjuice potion you wouldn't have to do it every hour or whatever else because then how can you sleep um yeah i don't this is a good question because i actually think that dumbledore might be misspeaking here which um because my impression is for the most part as we've as we've talked about before potions are kind of like they work or they don't um although <laughs> Or are made by Neville. Or are made by Neville, in which case, nothing. They do works. something different. Um, but I do, I do think that there are certain. So it's possible that there are certain potions that you can make stronger or weaker, and I, I don't know if that's like a, just like pure concentration or what you know what actually yeah. makes it like that, because I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, we get in later books we get a protracted discussion of love potions and what mm-hmm. are like real love potions, what are infatuation potions, mm-hmm. what right. they are meant to do, how long they last, things like that. And But that's a little unclear to me if that is, are these stronger or weaker or are these different iterations of the same class right. of potion? Um, that makes sense. I mean, it's also a little weird because how much of a potion do you have to take to get the effects? Like, And that that is you... a potion by potion basis. Um, right as we will as we will sort of learn um, okay but i don't i don't know about veritaserum the we do see veritaserum again a couple of times over the course of these books but it's never to my knowledge it's never again referenced in terms of strength or weakness it's just right. get the veritaserum um and the only reason i say it, it, it's possible that this is dumbledore kind of misspeaking in the heat of the moment is i also don't get the impression that dumbledore is like a great potion maker i don't think that's his strength he always (laughs) calls on snape to do the potions snape does the um wolf potion for Mm -hmm. or the werewolf potion for lupin for sure um he does the mandrake potion in the second book Um, i mean he's the only one who does the veritaserum which like it is so it is in very very short supply which is part of the reason nobody ever uses it um i mean to in defense of Dumbledore, um, as Spencer <laughs> would say, he is good about making relationships with other people. And yeah. if he was a really good potion maker, it would do terrible things to Snape to be like, I got this. That is that is a thousand, a thousand percent true. Um, and that's a really good point. So uh, maybe we just never see Dumbledore's potion making. <laughs> yeah. Because he, uh, is, he has realized that the way to build a relationship with Snape is to allow him to make the complicated stuff. All right. I think uh, that's it. But, Spencer, you get to look at the insanity that is the picture for next chapter. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Chapter 36, uh, The Parting of the Ways. That, that is the dark mark, right? That is the dark mark. It. Kudos to the kudos to the illustrator. That is an evil-looking thing right there. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's creepy. It, it is mm-hmm. very creepy. Um, and this is another t- doozy of a chapter. Um 
Oh, this this one just goes on. Yes, it, it keeps going. It keeps going. Um, well, this has been fun, guys. Yeah, look, looking forward to the next one.